God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text today is retaken from the reading in the Gospel of Mark. You may be seated. Let us pray. Mighty Father, we give you thanks that you are in the business of pulling camels to the eyes of needles and doing the impossible like saving sinners like us. We pray this day, Lord, that as we once again hear your word, you would strengthen us in our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for our salvation. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. There is a great problem that, that creeps in to our understanding of Christianity. And it's a constant problem that arises. It's when we begin to confuse Christianity with other religions. Because Christianity is very different from every other religion in the world. Every other religion in the world teaches something that we call works righteousness. And works righteousness is this idea that you are right with God, you are saved, you are going to heaven, you have a right relationship with God, a right, under, a right standing in the faith based on your works based on your performance. You are righteous because of what you do. Now, in Christianity, we don't teach that. We believe we are right with God because of what Christ has done to save us. It's not our works that earn us a place before God, but Christ's works on our behalf. And yet, for whatever reason, this idea, this, this, this uh, tendency towards works righteousness always finds its way creeping back into the church. We saw the perfect example of this last week with the accounts of the rich young ruler who came to Jesus seeking eternal life. Now, we, we do have to do a little bit of review from last week. If you were here last week, this will be a lot of review, actually, uh, because today in our reading from the Gospel of Mark, we're sort of picking up in the middle of a story. We need to know the background to understand why Jesus says what he says today. So you will recall the rich young man comes to Jesus asking what he must do to inherit eternal life. What must I do, he wants to know. And so Jesus lists all the commandments for him, basically to show him like nobody can do enough to get into the kingdom of heaven. But the guy hears the list Jesus gives, and he's like, oh yeah, I've done all of that since I was a youth. It was set in his mind that he had done enough to enter eternal life. His work was enough. And if you wanted proof of this, you only had to look at his financial situation. Because the mentality that they had in the ancient world, and, and not that this thing has gone away, was this. If you do things God's way, God is going to pour out his blessings upon you. So if you live morally and you live faithfully, you should expect to have financial blessings in this life. So this rich young man was looking at his money, and he was looking at his morals, and he believed he had done enough to enter eternal life. And so he brings this mentality to Jesus, and Jesus just kills it dead. Jesus is quick to show this man that what he believed was actually saving him was in fact doing the opposite. It was his money and it was his morals that were keeping him out of the kingdom because his faith was in the wrong thing. And so Jesus goes to take that stuff away. He says, take all of your money and give it to the poor. And then come follow me, and I'll give you the real treasure, the treasure of heaven. Follow me, he invites the man. And the man leaves sad, and I would guess a little baffled. After all, he thought he was enough. 
He thought he had done enough. He leaves sad because our works are never enough for Jesus. Now, we pick up in our reading today, Jesus sees this and he says, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said to them again, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, before we move on from this, I don't want you to misunderstand Jesus' words today. Jesus is not saying to us today something like this, that money and morals are bad things, but he is telling us that they are pathetic gods that can do nothing to save us. Only Jesus saves us. We can only trust in him to do the saving work. We cannot trust our performance, our works, and we cannot look to our money for assurance. Our only hope is ever found in Jesus Christ. And the disciples hear this, and they are shocked by this. Because they have that works righteous mentality. They have this idea that religion ought to be based upon what we do. And that guy is doing it better than anyone else. I mean, the disciples look at that guy walk away, and they're like, if he's not in, who is? They were exceedingly astonished and said to Jesus, who then can be saved? And Jesus said to them, with man it is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Jesus says it is actually impossible for you to be saved by your faith and your performance. It's actually impossible for you to be saved if you're putting your faith in what you do. It's actually impossible for you to be saved if you're putting your faith in what you have. The only hope that anybody in this world has before God is in the God who does the impossible. Your only hope is in God who sends his son, Jesus Christ, to do the impossible, to raise the dead, to give sight to the blind, to conquer the grave, and to do the even more impossible work of giving salvation to idolatrous sinners like you and me. In fact, this work of Jesus, this impossible being made possible work of Jesus, is the only reason any of you and I have hope today. But fear not, dear friends, because you and I have this hope. Because Jesus has done the impossible for you. He has pulled the camel through the eye of the needle while you were riding on the camel's back. And he has brought you into the kingdom. This is the very thing he did for you when he pulled you out of the waters of back. He took you dead in your sins and trespasses and raised you to a new life. We're actually going to get to witness this miracle again today in second service with baby Grace. You should stick around. You don't have to come to church twice, but listen, you have nothing more important going on than what will be taking place here today in the second service. It's a miracle. A camel through the eye of a needle, a baby being saved by God's grace alone. The gift of holy baptism. Because in that gift, Jesus is going to promise to grace what he promised to you that your sins are died for, that you are forgiven, and you are now living in the gift of everlasting life. God what is, does what is possible alone for him. He saves sinners like us. All by grace. And I got to tell you, that is the hardest thing in the world for us to believe. We, we simply cannot fathom it. Because in our minds, it's just not possible 
for camels to go through the eye of the needle, and it's not possible for God to be gracious to sinners by his grace and his love alone. And so we always have this mentality going on that says, yeah, but there's got to be something I do. There's got to be something about me. There's got to be something in the life of that camel that helps him fit. Maybe what the camel did, maybe what he had to do, was just sort of get rid of the humps on his back, lose a little bit of weight, get a little skinnier, follow some regimen. And once he did that, then he was a little easier to fit through the eye of a needle. And here the old religion in the, uh, religionist in us kicks in and starts saying, maybe that's the key. It's not that I have to do all the works of the law to be saved. It's not that I have to perform all these good works to be saved. What really I need to do to be saved is to sacrifice, to cut things off from my life, to remove the humps from the camel's back and start sacrificing things. And then if I can just sacrifice enough, then Jesus will let me into the kingdom of heaven. And our chief old religionist here, Peter, speaks up with this mentality and says, now you know Jesus. We've done that. We've left everything and followed you. We're not like that rich young man who clings to his stuff. We let go of everything. Look at us. We must be the greatest in the kingdom of God because look how much, Jesus, we have sacrificed for you. Once again, we're trying to make it all about what we do in some way. It's a false belief that you can trust in your works, and there's another equally false belief, just as dangerous, that believes you can trust in what you sacrifice. And this mentality is always creeping back into the church. If you think of the time of, of the Reformation with Martin Luther, this is one of the things he would rail against. Because in those days you would have these monks, and I'm sure we still have this now, who believe that if they just sacrificed their entire lives and went off into the desert and prayed uh, for 24 hours a day and ate nothing but the tears that flowed from their eyes from their prayers, then they would be holy in the eyes of God holier than you because you're just doing the mundane work, you know, of like going to your job and raising your kids and all of that sort of mundane stuff. These guys did the holy work. 24 hours of prayer, no food, sacrificed everything. Just made them better in their mind. Closer to God. It was the golden ticket into heaven to become a monk or a nun. And this mentality doesn't go away. We still think of this ourselves in our own culture. We may not be monks, but we think, hey, if I can just cut off all those bad secular things from my life and only do the Christian things in my life, then I will be holier in the eyes of God. Then I will be more righteous. At least I won't be like those sinners over there. But what I need to do is cut off the bad things, you know, like secular movies and secular music and secular t-shirts and all that kind of stuff, and just do Christian things. That makes me holy. Or maybe what I need to do is just uh, abandon the world altogether and focus only on Jesus. I, I heard a story about this uh, a number of years ago. I read a book where this sort of idea was really getting abused. It was told by a pastor who said when he was in seminary, uh, he was working in a factory. And this factory is pretty intensive, labor-intensive work, but, but part of the rules were you could take a smoke break when you needed a smoke break. And there was one of the guys who had worked the line who would take, you know, five or six or seven smoke breaks during the day uh, for 15 minutes at a time, but not to smoke, to read his Bible. So he would go off and he would be reading his Bible and his co-workers would come over to him and say, hey man, you need to come back to work. We need the help. The work is getting intense. We need your help. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm doing the more important work right now of communing with my God. And how holy and how pious that man was, I'm sure. 
so much closer to the kingdom of heaven because after all, he had sacrificed the worldly work that he had to do over here for the holy work of reading his Bible and praying while the rest of the guys carried the load. Now that's kind of an abuse of the idea, yet nonetheless, this mentality is always creeping back in, that if we really want to be righteous before God, we need to sacrifice the worldly things and focus only on the holy and the spiritual and the godly things. But Jesus points out to us today, and he points out to Peter, that this misses the point too. When, we have to, when Jesus calls us to sacrifice things to follow him, that's not what he's getting. He's letting you know that, yeah, sacrifice must take place in the kingdom of God. When you have entered into the kingdom of God, there will be sacrifices you make. And sometimes it's going to take some pretty dangerous stuff, difficult stuff, like sacrifices within the family, because your family may reject you for following Jesus. Family likes to sit on the throne of idolatry in our lives, and there are times when that idol needs to be removed. Christ will not share the throne even with our family. And so there are times in which family must be sacrificed for the sake of Christ. Friendship, a place in this world, a job, these things may have to be sacrificed because when you follow Jesus, those things aren't willing to share with you. Let me give you a, a clear example. I don't think I'm saying this very clearly. The disciples, when they became followers of Jesus, lost all time. They were, sacrificed, they were attacked, they were persecuted. Many of them were killed in brutal ways by their friends and their family members for confessing their faith in Jesus. This happened. Following Jesus comes with sacrifice. But this doesn't mean that one, you are saved because of that sacrifice you made, and two, it doesn't mean that Jesus is pulling you out of the world and away from your neighbors so that you can live in this sort of direct, blissful communion with him. No, listen to what he tells Peter today and to all of us. He says, truly I say to you, there's no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and land with persecution. In other words, you're not being cut off from neighbors and the call to love. You're just being put to a new family who is suffering in this world alongside of you because of their faith. You may be cut off from your former family and friends, or you may not. But that does not mean Christ will not give you a new family to serve and to love, and to suffer with, and to suffer for. This is the family we call the church. And here in the church, it is true that baptismal water is thicker than blood, and we depend on each other for everything. See, part of the reality we need to get into our heads, and this is a reality that I fear is becoming more and more true, is that in the church, the world will reject you. The world will turn on you. The world does not accept Jesus Christ, and they're going to reject you just like they rejected the one you have faith in. And they're not only going to do it to you, they're going to do it to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so Christ has placed us here together as a family so that we can love and support one another in the midst of the persecutions that come from the world. And not just the persecutions that come from the world, but in the midst of any kind of suffering that we might face. You are here in the church, you are part of the kingdom of God so that you might care, as we say all the time around here, you might care for everybody that God gives to you in this place. The responsibility in the family is to care for one another by encouraging each other in our suffering, praying for each other in our pain, feeding each other in our hungers, 
and carrying each other to the altar of Jesus Christ when our legs will no longer get us. Faith does not remove us from the world so as to stop, stop us from showing love. No, faith loves whatever neighbors Christ puts in our path. And look around you, this church is filled with those neighbors. Neighbors who need you. Neighbors who need you to teach Sunday school. Neighbors who need you to use the prayer quill. Neighbors who need meals and phone calls and prayers. Neighbors who need to hear God's word with you in worship and learn God's word with you in Bible study. Neighbors who need you in a world filled with suffering and persecution in order to preach Christ into their ears. For it is only that word from Jesus Christ that can sustain us in this world of sin unto life everlasting. You need someone to preach that to you. That's why Christ has given you the church. And this church needs you to deliver that message to them. But I want you to notice here, bring this now full circle, is that this kingdom you are a part of, this family you belong to, this church, you're here as a gift. You're here, I should say, by grace alone. Notice what Jesus says today. This is a kingdom, this is a family that you have received. You didn't earn your place here. You didn't work your way into this. No, when Christ pulled you through the eye of that needle and when Christ baptized you, he placed you into this family by his grace alone. You are a part of the family by grace just as you are saved by grace. And that is what distinguishes the church and Christianity from every other religion in the world. Everything we have here by God's grace alone. There is a place here for your good works. There is a place here for your love. There is a place here for your sacrifice. But that place is in the relationship with your neighbor. But in the kingdom of God, the good works that truly matter are the good works God that, that God has done to save you when Jesus Christ lived the perfect life in your place and gave you the credit for it. The love that matters in the kingdom of God and the love that brings you into the kingdom of God is the love of the Father by which he sent his son Jesus Christ into this world to save sinners, to save you. And the true sacrifice that matters here in the kingdom of God is the sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made on the cross for you when he bled and he died to wash you clean in his blood. It is God's love, God's work, God's sacrifice that saves you. It is God's work, it is God's love, it is God's sacrifice that now shapes you. For yours is the God who is first, but became last so that you might inherit the kingdom of God. Look at that. He's done it for you. Pulled that camel through the eye of the needle. Gave you a place in the family. Amen. Let's pray. We give you thanks, Lord Jesus, for the call to salvation which we have received by grace alone. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us a part of the church. This world that despises your word and this world that rejects your word, and sometimes even in our families, we find ourselves rejected because of who you are. You have not removed us from family, but you have given us the church. Help us, Lord, to see how we might love and serve one another in this place. This is Lord Jesus. You come and love and serve us. Grant us your grace for this end. In Jesus' name, amen.